At the tail end of the last episode, we mentioned the feud between the Capitals and the Rangers, specifically the antics of Tom Wilson. Surprise, surprise, the beef didn't end a few nights later, and in the middle of all that drama, there were big changes on Broadway. Episode 268 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Buff. Before we get to a fully loaded main topic, Brett, we do have some other news to report, including uh, Connor McDavid's chase to 100, and he did it with three games to spare. Yeah, I mean, you spoiled the lead there, but yes, uh, <laughs> Connor McDavid gets 100 points in 53 games. We, uh, we talked about it last week about like if he was going to do it. I think we were both in agreement that he was going to do it. It was just a matter of when. And he did it um, last, you know, on, on Saturday. Um, and it was, uh, he just did like, he did four games and um, four ga- uh, four points in, in, in a one game, which was incredible. Well, not, only, and not only did he get a goal and three assists against the Canucks, he did it before the end of the second yep. period. Just at the tail end of the second, he did it. Yeah. So, by the time the third period started, he already had 100 points. I know. So, uh, congrats to him, and it's incredible. It is funny, though, um, just because I, um, I was just curious to see if, like, um, how the, Amer- like the Americans are covering this story. Um, and my dad is a huge uh football basketball and baseball fan he's not really so much a hockey fan he's mostly a hockey fan just because i am i am a huge one but um he doesn't really pay attention to it um and so i asked him um like you know so like are like did you guys did you know that Connor mcdavid is has the best season and then the next thing he asked is just like is he on winnipeg um, so I thought that was kind of funny. The Jets, the yeah. Jets wish that they had Connor McDavid. Yeah, I mean, a lot he, of... Because he keeps owning them this year. I mean, a lot of teams wish they had Connor McDavid, but, um... Yeah. But it was, it was just, uh, just funny, and it kind of proves my point even more that, um, the U.S., or the NHL doesn't market, uh, Connor McDavid like they should, because, um, it does, like, it doesn't even matter what, um... Like, if, if, like, Dad doesn't watch hockey as often, you should know what team Connor McDavid plays for um, if you're uh, a diehard fan of all the other big sports in the in the league. Um, and it was just, um, like, he would know what, you know, what team Crosby plays for, what team Ovechkin plays for. And maybe that has partly to do with it, is that, like, McDavid hasn't won anything in the in the playoffs yet, but... I feel like Crosby and Ovechkin are like you know, our household names, more or less, um, in terms of sports. But, yeah. anyways, it was just um, interesting. But uh, yeah, g- good for Connor McDavid, and if you have a chance to watch him every night, um, then you should. And uh, he's just on a, on the next level, basically. Um, 
Yeah, so. like especially during the home stretch, like yeah. the home stretch, for example, in, in the Calder Trophy race is where Kirill Kaprizov might have beaten Jason Robertson. Just like in the past five games, he's been an absolute tear. And the same can be said for Connor McDavid over his last 11 games. Get this. Three four-point games, five-point games, held pointless just once in that span. Yeah. And he still has 31 points, nine goals, 22 assists, in his past 11 games, the Oilers have scored 40 goals, meaning he's factored in 78% of his team's goals in the past 11 games. Just incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. And I think we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago with the Canadian division, um, mm-hmm. but we didn't really talk about it last week. But I do wonder if like if he would be doing at this pace um, if he, if it was just a normal regular season, um, where mm-hmm. like he would be playing the Boston's, the, um, you know the the Vegas's, the all the like Colorado's, all these teams that are very good defensively, but because he's playing like Ottawa, Vancouver, uh, Winnipeg, who aren't really great defensively, um, it's um, it, it kind of makes it lessen, but at the same time, it's like. McDavid's really good even outside of um, the sport and the same could be said with uh, Austin Matthews as well he has like 40 goals right now um, incredibly um, in 50 in these uh, 50 games as well yeah I mean, I mean, I mean you, you, you look at the 56 game season if you mix in the Vegas's and the Colorado's right. like you said all the, the good teams that McDavid Tampa's has been able to avoid this year, I still think he probably gets, I don't know, 80 to 85 points minimum in yep. that 56-game no, that's which fair. is well ahead of everyone else. Yeah, that's totally fair, I guess. it, But, like, just the fact that, like, 100 points in 53 games, that's close to two points per game. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. So, I don't know if that, I guess, if, if it was an 82-game season, I think that's, like... A, 160 something it's in that range it's a lot yeah Yeah. so um i i I don't know if i did the math right so (laughs) don't don't correct me if i'm wrong which i probably am (laughs) um but um yeah i don't know i i i guess it it would be a lot of points but i so i don't know if he would get like 100 and like that level but maybe like 130 i i could see that totally Mm -hmm. um Anyways, um, in other news, uh, some coaching news that we've mentioned. Um, Columbus um, has announced, and I guess Tortorella has also announced, that uh, Tortorella is not going to be back behind the bench um, in Columbus next year. Uh, this is pretty good news uh, for Patrick Line and I guess pretty much any, any skater um, who, uh, he, who's known for like their high point totals, uh, cause, um, t- you know, Tortorella usually does the defensive stuff. Um, he was, um, he, according to Elliot Friedman, he also was saying that like Tortorella, uh, still plans to play, you know, coach another team. Um, he's not entirely done with the NHL. He's not retiring. He's just not going to be in Columbus. And um, I'm pretty sure another team will find him. Maybe 
uh, even this year. Um, I think it was just a contract dispute, and I, you know, I also don't necessarily blame him. It's not like Columbus is the best place to play for, um, especially for Tortorella, but I think uh, Columbus just got a little bit more intriguing for a lot of free agents now. Because uh, uh, Torella is kind of like he has that reputation of not being the best, <laughs> the best person, uh, so to say. Well, I, I, yeah, true, and I think the argument can be made that he's not the right coach for every single play. Of course, yeah. Um, I think the fit needs to be right, and he mentioned um, in one of his final press conferences that it's. He doesn't believe that coaches have a shelf life, but he does believe in the coach being the right fit for the team. I don't think he was the right fit in Columbus anymore, uh, but you can't deny what he did there. Yep. Um, at one point, the Jackets won 16 straight games, which at the time incredible because it, to get like eight or nine, ten wins in a row in Columbus was a rarity game itself, and they won 16 in a row under him. They won their first ever playoff series with him behind the bench and they made it to the playoffs four straight times with Torres behind the bench including last year where they were banged up to oblivion and they still found a way in and beat Toronto the play in to get it done but you look at the guys that have struggled this year that they brought in Jack Roselick who showed some strides but at points was healthy scratched Max Domi was healthy scratched Patrick Line right. at times was benched and we all know what Patrick Line can do and for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. At the end of the day, you need to get those guys going. You have Seth Jones and Zach Renske on expiring contracts in a couple of years. I would think a team like Columbus needs them to be a part of the future, especially after the veterans they said goodbye to and David Savard, Nick Foligno, and perhaps more changes are coming in the offseason too. I just think the fit was right. And... I think when you have a lot of big-name coaches out there like Bruce Boudreau and Gerard Gallant, I think one of them could get a bit more out of what Columbus has on the roster than Torts can. That's not to say Torts is done. He will find a job somewhere else. There is going to be a team that needs a John Tortorella, and you'll you'll find his way back into yep. the league somehow. I don't know when, but um, I it, it didn't surprise me that this move was made at all. Yeah, that that's a good point. Um, and yeah, I've, I'm sure he'll be he'll be back. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's like uh, coaches don't necessarily have a shelf life, but there are certainly uh, they may not be like the best fit. And um, and that certainly was the case for Columbus, where they're starting to be more of like a rebuild team, or you know, just be a little bit more younger, where uh, these guys are going to be making more mistakes, and that's not someone, a coach like that, uh, coach like Tortorella is not the greatest fit for that. Um, so, so that makes sense. Uh, he was he went. Um, I'm looking here. Uh, he went uh, two twenty seven, um, one sixty six and fifty four um, in his sixty years in Columbus. So. Um, that's about a 568 point percentage, um, which is, which is pretty good. So, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's, uh, we'll see how he goes, but yeah, I agree. He's not necessarily done in the NHL for sure. 
Um, another play, another coach that may not be done um, in the NHL, but he's not going to be um, the coach for the Arizona Coyotes, um, and that's Rick Tockett. Um, Rick Tockett went 125, 131, and 34 in his four years in Arizona. Um, he, like Tortorella, he was announced that he's not coming back in Arizona. Although I guess, oh yeah, I guess they did play their 56 games. So, um, so yeah, I guess he was technically fired, I guess, but maybe he, um, it was the end of his contract as well. So I don't know. Yeah, I think um, it was an expiring contract kind of situation okay. with them too, yeah. Um, so that, yeah, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's another one where it's like, you know, they never, you know, obviously not as impressive as um, Tortorella's record was, coaching record was, but, um, you know, they made the playoffs um, last year um, and they didn't really make the playoffs the other, um, the other four years he was there, but... Um, yeah, it, it was, uh, it wasn't as, um, great, but, uh, yeah, I guess, well, he might be back, but it's not as, um, as, uh, I don't know what the word I'm thinking of. <laughs> it's not as, uh, um, sure that he's going to be back. Now, um, like Tortorella was, but um, mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. if he's a surefire hire as uh, he's um he's a sure hire as a NHL head coach. He could be a very good assistant coach on a contending team. Maybe he's someone that Seattle brings in to complement the other coaching staff uh, around the team because they don't have a head coach or let alone assistant coaches. So he could be a solid assistant coach in Seattle. He could be the coach in Seattle. Uh, maybe he goes to um, the Canucks coaching staff if they shake things up. Anaheim could be a wild card there. Columbus too. Um, and again, it doesn't necessarily need to be a head coaching position. He could be a solid assistant in those markets. Um, you look at the monster season that Jacob Chikrin had. Like that that guy was that that guy was playing like the top five pick. He was hyped to be. Um, before his draft year and really evolved his game uh, you see the young kids starting to get their ice time they have bright futures in Arizona Michael Bunting did well in the short amount of time he was there this year um, ultimately this Coyotes team is fairly young made some strides with Rick Tockett at the helm there were a couple of years where they were very banged up and Tockett was able to keep them in contention at the very least um, but the level of consistency, the playoff appearances, they just weren't there to save Rick Tockett. And that, that really showed this year. I felt they were behind the eight ball in a lot of games. And the division they were in this year and that they're going to be in when Seattle comes in and then they have to deal with Edmonton again. Um, you, you can't afford to fall behind in those games, and there there needs to be a, a change in approach when it comes to certain aspects of coaching. And it again just didn't seem like Rick Tocca was the guy. So this move doesn't surprise me. He'll probably be back in the game at some point. Uh, it's just a matter of when. Similar with Torts, uh, in what capacity? Not quite sure, but. I, I think, again, when you look at the amount of na- uh, quality names available, 
Um, a lot of teams are going to be looking at their current and say, is this guy still the right fit for us? And the Coyotes made the decision that talk it wasn't. Right. Yeah. So, and I, the other aspect that's kind of interesting too, is the fact that like, um, Phil Kessel, he, uh, one of the reasons why he even was on the team or it was way back when I guess he was traded there, but, um, a big reason why he removed his no trade cl- move clause was because of Rick Tockett. And he had, um, he had experience with Rick Tockett when he was in Pittsburgh. So, Good point. um, so I am curious to see how, like what Phil Kessel's future is in Arizona, uh, because of that, or, you know, maybe, you know, I guess he was kind of, Phil Kessel kind of, uh, disappointed in Arizona too. So maybe there is, um, it's not as um, exciting, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think there could be a better coach. I feel like Arizona does have a, a good young core going, but um, I'm not necessarily sure of like what their future lands in uh, just because it is Arizona. Um, okay, so now we have our first, uh, our main topic of the, of the, um, you know, the broadcast, um, John, John Davidson and Jeff Gordon are fired from the Rangers. Um, this decision came one day after that statement, uh, where they called out, uh, where the Rangers called up George Peros, um, and fining Tom Wilson instead of suspending him, um, the department of uh, player safety. The Rangers have publicly said that it had nothing to do with it, but, uh, and like this was in the works. Um, also, I guess, um, James Dolan, the, the Rangers owner, he said that, um, he felt like the, like, uh, they were under, um, they weren't in the same, like, uh, like just, he expected more out of the Rangers this year. Yeah, he felt they, he felt yep. they underachieved, essentially. Which is ridiculous, by the way. But, um, because, like, the Rangers, like, I mean, the Rangers, if the Rangers were in the same, um, you know, if, if it was a normal regular season, the Rangers would maybe make the playoffs. <laughs> if, if they were, they're like the, I'm, I'm looking here, they had 60 points in 56 games, um, and that would put them like 14th in the league and like for a rebuilding team that they said that they were like two years ago, like that's pretty good for a rebuilding team. So I don't know what James Dolan is talking about, but anyways, uh, the Rangers had, uh, the Rangers publicly have said that that statement, um, had nothing to do with it. Um, and this was in the works for a while. Um, however, um, I think it, I think this was reported by Freeman, but it's still like speculation because it's not really confirmed yet. Um, so take this for a grain of salt, really. But um, reported supposedly, um, Jeff Gordon and John Davidson were um, unhappy with the statement, and they were supposedly. Um, this is all speculation. I want to make sure that everyone knows that this isn't confirmed. That. Uh, that those two like went to other teams 
to say like you know the, that isn't how they actually feel about the situation and they've they they don't uh, they didn't appreciate um him calling out george peros um so i know the rangers have publicly said that this had nothing to do with it and it was in the works which is probably true chris Drury was um like supposedly not you know uh the rangers didn't want chris Drury to be interviewed for the buffalo job the pittsburgh job as well so um so this was probably just like they had to do it because it's like if you're not allowing other teams to do it and you're not promoting him then of course you have to like you know yeah you're kind of in a sticky situation that way but um yeah the the rangers i i still feel like this was probably like the final straw for for them where it's just like okay where um like <laughs> like our owner uh, just called out the, the Department of Player Safety head, um, and uh, and that's not how we feel. Also, like it seems like he's not happy with how the Rangers are going. So, uh, so I guess uh, Dolan just felt like he had to to make a move, and um, this was what happened. Um, Chris Drury steps in as both the president of hockey operations and GM. I didn't mention that before, but I should have. Um, and yeah, so now we have general thoughts. Uh, I basically just, just said my thoughts where I feel like it was there since Drury was like a hot commodity and the Rangers just didn't want him to be interviewed for anything. Um, and that's not to say that Jeff Gordon is a bad GM or, John Davidson is a bad president, but um, I think just because they denied him access to do it, I, I think this was something that they had been planning on doing for a while now. However, um, and I think you agree with this just from the emails that we ha have exchanged, um, I'm not sure if the timing was that great. It's like, this was probably in the works, and it's not like a surprising story anyway but just the fact that like they were doing it just when this statement was coming out um and that there was um you know just this whole like area of like okay well how are they going to handle this tom wilson thing um so so i think it was more of a like i feel like they could have just fired these people and made this decision public like maybe um you know sometime in the summer um they didn't have to uh, do it just now but i mean i guess um at the same time it's just um you know if maybe that was just the straw that broke the camel's back kind of kind of thing yeah um so the the main issue that I had with these situations, and e even if you go to the performance side of things, you can at least have a debate about it. And I definitely think the argument can be made that maybe Jeff Gordon and John Davidson weren't the answer in terms of where the Rangers need to go from here. But the timing was piss poor. Like, you, you put this out, a day after the press release, you can't wait a month or 
a full week after that's done with three games left in the team season before pay-per-view boxing at Madison Square Garden happens that night this right. drops. I, the optics are just terrible. Like, if if you make a swift decision like that for performance reasons, you usually wait a couple weeks on that to make sure you're really sure that what you're doing is, is the right move. Especially when the guy you bring in uh, to replace those guys as president and GM is basically in your front office, has turned down multiple offers similar to other teams, allegedly, in the past, like Pittsburgh, I think. Yep, and Buffalo. Yeah, like, I think you could have waited a month to promote Chris Jury. Right. For performance reasons that Jeff Gordon and John Davidson didn't live up to. So, so just to get that out of the way, the timing is, is what I have a problem with. And especially when it's Dolan making the final call, a, a lot of people know that James Dolan at times is a controversial owner. He's got this, I, I don't know if he has the same kind of reputation as Eugene Melnick, but whenever does, people yes. hear James Dolan's name, it's just like, okay, what happened this time? You know, yep. he, he's got that kind of a reputation where you just roll your eyes and just like, oh boy, here we go, whenever you hear his name in the newspaper. Yeah, I, I so, think... That, that is pretty accurate, actually. I mean, I know you... you I don't think he's as bad as G, uh, Eugene Melnick, but I think I've heard stories. My dad's a Knicks fan and a Rangers fan. Uh, he, Dolan owns the, the Knicks, but supposedly mm -hmm. the Knicks are, like, one of the hottest teams in the NBA, and a big reason for that this year is because James Dolan has kind of, like, um, has stepped away from the Knicks um, and kind of like, um, or he's been told by the other people in the Knicks to not like meddle with them. And that was a big reason why the Knicks have been so bad for years uh, was just because James Dolan has been kind of like the, um, he had been so involved with them. Kind of like the Pagulas. I think that's probably the better example is he's more like, the Pagulas as an owner, um, where all of a sudden the Knicks are like uh, really good all of a sudden. Um, and uh, the Rangers haven't, and he's focusing more of his time on the Rangers um, than, uh, than not. But uh, And the other thing that's kind of funny about James Dolan is that he, uh, he, uh, he's also a band, he's in a band, um, and he plays, <laughs> yeah, um, and he plays, uh, I forget the name of the band, but, um, it's just really funny cause he like, he's often the opening act for a lot of concerts in Madison square garden where the Rangers and the Knicks play. <laughs> so it's just, it's just funny cause it's like the only reason why that band is playing in Madison square garden is because James Dolan owns Madison square garden. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just uh, it's just really funny, but, um, yeah, so it's, um, so that, that, that's the interesting part. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I did want to yeah. mention that. <laughs> no, I feel like I know a lot more about James Dolan than I did before. So I appreciate uh, the little history yeah. lesson there. Uh, so now the performance aspect, we, we got past the timing part. That's the main part that I had issue with. The rest here is, is debatable. You can either side for 
Davidson and Gordon, or you could side against them because there are uh, resumes that make you think, hmm, maybe they're not fit for the job. So let's take a look at John Davidson first and foremost. He's been the president of three hockey clubs since 2006. Uh, he was president of the St. Louis Blues from June 2006 to October of 2012. Uh, then he goes to Columbus in October of 2012 to become the president of that team. He leaves in May of 2019 to join the Rangers as team presidents, not just Panarin and Bobrovsky that left that year, or Matt Duchesne, John Davidson also left the team. And for just under two years, he served as president of the Rangers from May 2019 to May 2021. So in the six years he was president of the St. Louis Blues, that team won a single playoff series. There was one year where they had the number one overall pick didn't take Jonathan Taves, they took Eric Johnson, which is all right, but Jonathan Taves probably could have used him. Right. And they missed the playoffs four times in that span. So not the best of track records there, but they were a young rebuilding team. They were starting to get it going after he left. So it, you, you could you could argue that, yeah, he did some good things there, but also statistically it didn't work out. Right. So then you look at his stint in Columbus, where it's six years plus one. He's there for seven years. That team did make it to the playoffs multiple times, but they had three first-round exits before they won a playoff series against Tampa. They missed the playoffs three times in that span. Defense-heavy draft, they took Ryan Murray second overall. So again... Not the best track record, a little bit better than his time in St. Louis, but still not the most glamorous track record. Then you look at the Rangers. He's there for two years. They get swept in the play-in series against Carolina. They missed the playoffs this year, and they ended up winning a pair of draft lotteries. They drafted second overall in one of those years to get Capo Caco, and then they win the draft lottery and they get Alexis Lafreniere. So thanks to some lottery luck, they're able to get two gems in the top three. So over those 15 NHL seasons as team president, his teams have won a single playoff round and missed the playoffs. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Actually, nine times because I guess planes don't count a playoff series. Right. So, yeah, his team's missed the playoffs nine times in 15 years. Not exactly great. So you can make the debate point as to whether or not John Davidson's the right fit as team president. But there are some good things that he did. Now you take a look at Jeff Gordon's resume. He's been with the Rangers for a fair bit in Boston. He was their director of scouting from 94 to 98, and they did some good drafting during those years. So I think he knows a good thing or two about looking at talent, seeing what's there and taking the right guys. Um, he was also Boston's vice president of hockey operations from October, 1998 to October of 2000. So just over two years, um, then became their assistant GM, which he was there for six years, seven months, 26 days, November 2000 to June 2007. And for a little bit, two months and a day, he's the interim GM of the Bruins. 
at that point, he goes to the Rangers. He's their director now first, and he's in that role for two years, eighteen uh, for two years, eight months, nineteen days. Then he's their assistant GM for three years, eleven months, nineteen days, and since July twenty fifteen, he was their general manager for five years, ten months, four days. Now you take a look at the Rangers, and they've had a sad history with buyouts. Um, there were some compliance buyouts given out around the time of the 2013 shortened season. I believe that was part of the conditions there. And they used those compliance buyouts on Wade Redden and Brad Richards. So I don't necessarily know if those would be buyouts buyouts there because every team got them. So I, I wouldn't call those as technical buyouts, but in terms of team buyouts, the Rangers in 2010 bought out, <laughs> this is so funny, Chris Drury. Right. They bought Chris Drury in 2010, and now he's their GM now. Um, they also bought out Dan Girardi in 2017, Kevin Shattenkirk in 2019, and Henrik Lundqvist in 2020, although it's pretty clear we know why Lundqvist was bought out. But they've had, the bottom line is they've, handed out some questionable contracts that have later come back to bite them in the butt. Yep. And in the past two years, Jeff Gordon has used two buyouts that didn't include the Brendan Smith contract, which hasn't aged well no. by year, hasn't gotten better. He's been a good role player for them. He's, he's done some good things he can play for, which is good. And as we'll mention the Tom Wilson drama on May 5th, he answered the bell. He went after Tom Wilson. So he's a good team first guy. That's great. You love to have those guys, but not at the contract you signed them for and you give them four years. Those are the types that bury your team. And um, and then you also have, again, the Kevin Shattenkirk thing, which is a four-year deal. Halfway through that, you buy out that contract. That doesn't look good on you. Uh, and the Tony D'Angelo stuff... He, uh, I believe the plan was to buy him out this summer. So yep. if all you're doing to get to take care of your mistakes is buy people out, that's not really no. a good sign of a good GM. And you also take into account the deals that he signed with other guys like Tony Panera. That's, that's fine. That's, that's a slam dunk. He wanted to be in Broadway and he's worked out pretty well. Yep. But the Jacob Truba trade, Neil Pionk, Billy Inola, you look at their futures in Winnipeg, Not, I think they're probably better than what Jacob Truba has delivered since he signed a mammoth seven-year deal with the Rangers. That hasn't worked out to the point where Adam Fox is probably best defenseman on the team, and yep. he's at an entry-level salary. And they got Adam Fox because he wanted to be a Ranger. Right. Like, this is the thing with the Rangers is every single summer – there are going to be players that are willing to sign with the Rangers because it's freaking Broadway. It's the New York Rangers. They always seem to get their guy. Right. They're, they're the New York Yankees of the NHL. So In a weird way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that works to Jeff Gordon's advantage. So, and, and then on top of that, you give Chris Kreider a seven-year deal to what? Be a second-line or a third-line guy? That's 
not really good, especially again at the cap that they signed him for. I think right. it's like six point five million or something. So I guess in that sense, that's where you start to get into the debate of is Jeff Gordon the right guy to run the Rangers? When you look at the birth contract and the Chris Kreider contract and the Kevin Shanker contract, sure he brought in Colin Blackwell, who's done great for them. Sure, you look at the evolution of Adam Fox and Keandre Miller and Igor Shishyurkin, Ryan Lindgren, all of those guys have evolved. Alexis Lafreniere's looking confident. Capocacco's looking confident. That's great. At the same time, you look at guys like Brett Houghton and Philip Keitel, who were projected to be long-term solutions for this team, and they haven't really emerged up the depth chart to the point where it sounds like Brett Houghton might not be back next year. Right. So I definitely think there is a debate point as to whether or not this change needed to be made. My whole issue was the timing. Like, you were so quick to make this move now. You couldn't have waited a month to make sure you were really sure that this was the proper direction. I guess we don't know the full story behind the scenes, but just the timing of it is what is what really got me. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I, I feel Connor's Jury's abilities. I think he'll do some good things with the Rangers. And I'm interested to see what they do in the offseason to make this team better. Because at the end of the day, going into next year, the Flyers are going to be pissed off with a lot to prove because they underachieved this year as well. The Capitals are still going to be there. Pittsburgh's going to be there. The Islanders oh, are going to be there. And they're tough to play against. Yep. They've owned the Rangers at times as well. And, hey, look at Carolina. Look how deadly they are. They're going to have to slug it out against a lot of teams. And in a lot of those head-to-head matchups, the Rangers have fallen flat in those key divisional games. And that's that's something that is probably going to go against David Quinn as well. Because if you're questioning whether or not John Davidson's the right guy to be president, and you're questioning whether or not Jeff Gordon's the right guy to call the shots as GM. I would think with all of those names, like we discussed previously out there, that can be hired to coach your team. I don't know how you don't look at David Quinn and say, maybe there's another guy that can that can do the job better. And yeah. I think David Quinn can do the job, but in terms of getting the Rangers to that next level, I don't know if he has the pedigree as a lot of the other guys do. Yeah, that, that's all a good point. Uh, we'll talk about David Quinn in a second, um, a couple or a couple minutes. But um, I do want to point out some things that you may have missed. Uh, one, uh, this was a weird year for the Rangers, and not just because it was a shortened season where they played fifty-six games and there's a different division and they're in the the toughest division in the league. But it was also, um, you know, and also, like, they don't have fans and all that stuff. But also, you have um, you have a, a, a Panarin. Uh, he has to leave uh, the country because he's being attacked in his home country of Russia. Uh, so he's gone, and that's your best player. Um, and arguably, uh, he's as important to the Rangers as like, uh, Connor McDavid is to the Edmonton Oilers, uh, because, like, you know, <laughs> when he was back, he was, he was on, like, a prolific pace, and if he was, like, playing, 
a full 56 games, he probably would be up there with the hard trophy nominations um, uh, like he was last year. So Panarin being out for like a couple months, that had something to do with why the Rangers weren't as good as we thought they would be. Um, there's also the whole Tony D'Angelo situation where, um, where he, uh, you know, he said some things, he punched, uh, Alexander Georgiev, um, in the face, um, and, uh, and there was some drama with him and Andre Miller, um, although it seems like there wasn't drama, but it's really unclear, and the fact that, like, he's unhappy with the team, so that they have that things, but... When uh, Tony D'Angelo stopped playing, all of a sudden the Rangers started winning all these games. Um, and not to mention, like, I think the, the reason why the Rangers, um, like, underperformed is, like, th just the, the start of the season where um, they weren't as, like, gel, they weren't gelling like the other teams were. Um, and they, you know, they're still a young team. You have to remember that. Like, Alexis Lafreniere is 18 years old, and he finally got it together. Um, but I feel like, and Shesterkin was kind of struggling at the beginning of the year. But, like, towards the end of the year, um, the Rangers were actually, like, dominating. And um, and they were, they were pretty close to there, but it was just too little too late where... Pittsburgh, Washington, Boston, and the Islanders were so far ahead of the other four teams in the league that it just was too late, too little, too late type of thing. Um, and I, I have a feeling that if this was like an 82-game se season um, with these divisions, I think the Rangers would put um, more of an effort and they probably would. They might make one of those top four spots. Um and again, I'm not really sure who you, um, who would drop off. Maybe it's the Islanders. I know they're struggling, but, um, but I think uh, the Rangers are going to be a scary team next year, uh, for sure. Um, and also the other things I do want to mention is like you were you were focusing on all the bad parts about it. Uh, yes, Jacob Truba is a ter on a terrible contract now, and he's not living up to it, um, but. Uh, you also have to mention that, like, Adam Fox, uh, he's, he, he's kind of been a revelation. He's been a really good player for them. Um, and to the point where, like, he should get the Norris Trophy, but I don't think he's going to actually get it. The fact that he has, like, 47 points in 55 games, um, I mean, I know, like, offense isn't everything, but just the fact that he's, like on a, like a Rangers team where like they're not even that good um or like they're not even a playoff team just yet it's just that's the that's kind of the bigger like thing where it's like well Adam Fox should get the Norris but it's it seems like it's going to be Victor Hedman who's going to win um Artemi Panarin like I mentioned he has like 58 points in 42 games which is incredible yeah. um Pavel Buchnevich has been um, phenomenal. He had forty-eight points in fifty-four games. I didn't even yeah, mention his game. I yep. liked his game a lot this year. Yep. Um, I didn't even mention that Mika Zibanejad, who had struggled at the beginning of the year, he somehow managed to get fifty points in fifty-six games. Um, mm -hmm. So he suddenly started to 
play out. And Alexis Lafreniere, um, he's another one where he had a slow start to the year, but then um, eventually, like, there was one goal um, where he was playing the against the Bruins in the last game that was just incredible. And I was just like, okay, that's the sign that Alex Lafreniere is not going to be a bust. He's going to be pretty good. Um, so it's just like, it was more of a matter of time when he was going to do that. And, uh, he was, you know, he was pretty good, but like, when you look at his stats, you're like, okay, it's not as impressive as you were expecting him to be. Um, and yeah, Shosturkin also picked it up towards the end there as well, where he had like a 2.62 GAA and a save percentage of 916. Um, and yeah, I think Even there's... when the Rangers were, were, were not winning games yeah. early on, he was the reason why they had a chance in a lot of them. Right. And Ryan Strom, quietly good as well. Ryan like, Strom's he, another he one, hasn't, yeah. uh, his, his offensive game hasn't fallen off from last year. Yep. It's been just as good, if not maybe a little bit better, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, James Dolan also mentioned the idea of a culture reset. He, he felt like the team needed a culture reset. I'm just thinking, well, Tony D'Angelo hasn't played a game for them in, like, two to three months. Is there something else we don't know about? Yeah, like, that's a good what point. specifically is your team missing that that would fit the mold? Like, what? Like, do they yeah. need more bottom six leadership? And, and yeah. Drury set out to make the fourth line better. If, if that's – I, I, I'm, I'm a little puzzled at what he means by changing the culture of – the Rangers. Right. Um, is it to maybe add an injection of leadership when times get tough? Because there were there are there were times this year where the Rangers would mount comebacks and it would be and it would happen too little too late, but they would dig themselves yeah. into holes to get themselves in that spot. I don't know if that constitutes like a culture reset if you're like falling behind all right. the time in games. That culture reset to me goes deeper than just that. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't realize he said that, but like you know, at the same time, it's like Colin Blackwell. He was on the fourth line. He was he was pretty a pretty good fourth line player. I would say yeah. top ten yeah. minimum fourth liners in the league. I know. Bottom six forwards. Like he yeah. was quietly very good for them. Exactly. Um, also, I I liked uh, Philip Heedle's play. He really picked it up towards the end there as well. Um, so that was another one I wanted to mention, but I, I, I just wanted to mention it because you are focused on all the bad stuff. And I just wanted to say mm-hmm. that I think the rate, like if, like if I'm Chris Drury, I'd be like pretty excited about it. And like, you know, maybe Capo Caco, Lafreniere, um, haven't been as good as we thought they would be, but you know, there were t- definitely times where it's like, okay, that. That's why we drafted them really, really high. Um, so I think the Rangers do have a really bright future, but I do kind of see what Dolan's saying, that I think there does need to be some kind of, like, maybe more leadership initiatives, because this is still a pretty young team. Yeah, um, outside you know, of Panarin and Truba, and and he, this is still a, a team that is in their mid-20s, yep. And hasn't really like competed in a playoff series. Right. Like all they had was three games in a play against Carolina, and they got shown up by the Hurricanes. Yeah. in pretty much all three. Right, right, right. That's true. And Chris Kreider as well is another old guy. Mm, yeah. But but like when you look at their team, the oldest there's only two players who are older than thirty years old. 
Oh, sorry, three players that are older than three years old. One is uh, Chris Kreider, who's 30, uh, Brendan Smith, who's 32, and then you have Keith Kincaid, who's 31. And those are the only, <laughs> those are the only 30-year-olds you have. Yeah, and so, Kincaid was making yeah. spot starts, so yeah. pretty much two the entire yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess there's also Anthony Batetto, but I think he's like a seventh. He was more of Defenseman. a depth guy yeah. that, that did some good things at parts yep. of the year in his own right, but again, not a regular contributor, I would say. So so I, I do kind of understand what he's saying, but at the same time, like the Rangers said that they were going to be in a rebuild, um, yeah. and they've done a really good job at that rebuild. Like, you know, we're, we're kind of all expected them to be one of the worst teams, even with all these prospects. But, like, these prospects are, like, the best in the league, um, and they should be for for quite some time. So they're in good, pretty good shape just from that perspective. Um, but, um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about David Quinn um, soon because I know you were talking about that. But I do want to mention that uh, there was a game on Wednesday um, where it was the Washington Capitals against the New York Rangers – Tom Wilson did play, although he was uh, he ended up leaving in the second with a, a lower body injury. Uh, both Panarin and Ovechkin weren't playing as well, um, but I think that had more to do with just injuries and not because they wanted to protect them, although that may have something to do with it. Uh, but yeah, anyways, it got really, really nasty. Uh, there were six brawls at, at one point. Um, like, like in the span of like five minutes, um, there was like 12 penalties or something like that. Um, and it was funny cause they showed like the penalty boxes for both the Rangers and the Capitals. And there was like six guys all in one, one box, um, which wasn't really COVID safe, but at least they were all, all teammates there. Um, and also, uh, Buchnevich ended up getting suspended for one game after cross-checking, Mantha's face and I guess it was suspension worthy but it is kind of ironic because uh what Tom Wilson did um was much worse and he only got fined whereas Buchnevich got ended up just getting suspended um so it's um it was kind of crazy and I like you know I think just this game um it's all the NHL's fault I mean yes it's you know, like, obviously the Rangers and the Capitals should have been more, like, mature about it. But, like, if the NHL had suspended Tom Wilson, there wouldn't be this much bloodshed. Um, like, it, it's just clear as day. Um, and, I mean, it does take you back to old school hockey and all that stuff. And it, But it just shows that, like, because it was basically because the NHL wasn't policing the the you know the players the you know these players had like these teams had to police themselves and they had to stand up for what they said especially after James Dolan's statement calling out George Peros and just saying that Tom Wilson is a pos so it's um so that that was just kind of like fight it's those were fighting words type of things um so yeah it was just an embarrassment of the NHL. Um, however, um, that didn't stop me from watching and I probably wouldn't watch if, um, if I didn't hear the commotion and I didn't know this storyline coming into it. So it's, 
Um, it's kind of like a two-edged sword. It's like if you, I mean, I guess this is another story altogether uh, that we could have at some point, but like just the whole role of fighting in in the NHL to begin with. But um, but it, it does get people to watch, um, which is something the NHL hasn't, uh, has had trouble with for, for a while now, but, um, so there was that, but it, it definitely isn't the greatest show of what hockey is really about. Yeah, especially when you're about to go into an ESPN rights deal, the first yep. thing you want to show them is, is this. And exactly, I yeah. When I say that. Um, so just to give you a, a brief rundown of the madness that happened at Madison Square Garden on May 5th, so... This happens a second in, and Chair is just staying there the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so the funny part is like no one. He's just like, yeah, well, you want to go? And says like, nah. Yeah, I mean, he eventually it. got into it, but yeah, yeah. not not at the eventually. first time. Yeah. So literally a second into the game, Haglin fights Blackwell. Hathaway goes after Phil G, Phil D Giuseppe. Then 49 seconds go by, 50 seconds into period one. Tom Wilson versus Brendan Smith. Smith gets an instigator. 4-14 into the first period, Michael Raffle and Anthony Batetto drop the gloves. Lars Eller does the same with Ryan Strom. Uh, 15-56 into the first period, not over yet, but Schnevich goes after Tom Wilson, gives him a slash. Wilson and Rooney uh, get 10 minutes each. 18-13 into period one, Butchnevich high sticks Zdeno Chera. It could have been just a simple high stick, but it's worth noting that right. this is the second play in the first period that Butchnevich has been involved in, and he was front and center um, in the May 3rd incident where Tom Wilson basically just um, gives him a little shot into the ice, gives his head a little shot into the ice, and then goes after Panarin. So it should be noted that Butchnevich is looking after himself. He's just like... Yeah, yeah, just leave, just leave me be. I'll take care of my own business. Right. So, uh, starting the second period, Tom Wilson is pulled from the game. Probably avoid any confrontation because, A, a lot of people are probably going to go after him. And, B, if they do go after him, he's not going to hold back. He sits, he's six foot seven. He's a big guy. So, he'll drop the gloves with, with just about anyone that goes after him. So, I think just to avoid further chaos... That was probably the best decision the Caps have made with him the entire year, was to pull him from that game. 4.39 into period two, we get the Butchnevich cross check to Mantha's face, uh, which he later gets suspended a game and loses, I believe, $28,000 in salary, which is funny because that's $23,000 less than what uh, Tom Wilson right. lost because that was the maximum you could get fined without getting suspended. So, yeah. But Chnevich gets a game and a bigger fine than Tom Wilson got. Yeah. Um, then, later in the second period, 15-46 in, Chera trash talks Brendan Smith. He's gone from the game. At this point, the Capitals don't have Zidane Chera or Tom Wilson. If the Rangers really wanted to goon it up, they could have. Yeah. They absolutely could have. Fortunately, that didn't happen. Fortunately for all of our stakes, for the NHL sake especially, that didn't happen. Uh, and then the final incident, 7.48 into period three, Brian Strom slashes Garnet Hathaway. He gets two and ten for that. So that brings the total penalty minutes after the full 60 minutes were played, 
56 for Washington, 85 for the Rangers. Now, taking a look at the New York press release from the Rangers um, that allegedly, according to the NHL, attacked Paris's integrity and dedication to his profession, which led to the team getting fined 250k for it. The league might have interpreted this press release as an attack on Peros' character, but were they correct in assuming that? Because I think the Rangers said what they said because they questioned Peros' ability to do his job. If you don't do your job as a hockey player, you get benched. Right. That That's accountability. That's holding players accountable. And if someone in the NHL front office messes up, I would think there was some level of a there. And the fact that no one seems to be holding anyone accountable, the Capitals not holding Tom Wilson accountable for his actions, and for George Peros to, and the player safety to not do a good enough job for Tom Wilson to lay off these antics, we get to these scenes that you're seeing right here. Like, when Rafi Torres was getting suspended, every time he did something dumb, his suspensions went up. After the Tom Wilson suspension against Oscar Sundquist, which is 20 games for a preseason hit, preseason hit, he gets 20 games reduced to 14. I haven't seen a punishment that has gone above that since, or even at the 20-game threshold since then. So the fact that Tom Wilson is not not really being controlled by his team, by the Department of Player Safety, to kind of lay off of this stuff. It's just added fuel to the fire and could lead to Bertuzzi 2.0. This could have been to Bertuzzi yep. 2.0, except it wasn't. And the NHL's freaking lucky for that. You look at Shane Gostas Bear, what he did to Mark Freeman, for example. Mark Freeman shoots the puck into an empty net, goes spare, cross-checks him. Right. He gets two games. Uncalled for, deserves a suspension. Ghost Bear doesn't have a track record for being dirty. I think two games is justified. Zach McEwen of the Vancouver Canucks gets one game a few nights later. And that's kind of a 50-50 play. But yeah, okay, I can see why there would be a suspension. That in part is I think they got the Buchnevich call correct. They got Ghost Bear correct. McEwen, I think they got, for the most part, correct. And yet, when it comes to Tom Wilson, more often than not, he's been getting a free pass. Like, the whole part of player safety is to keep the message consistent and to make sure players know which is offside, the stuff that you can't do. And I feel like Tom Wilson still hasn't been given a clear definitive line. You shall not cross this line. And he's just been playing on the edge for so long to the point where Matt Cook, Sean Avery, and John Scott are all against Tom Wilson. That's a pretty big sign that George Peros might be losing people here on some of these verdicts. So I I don't think it's I don't think it's justified for the Rangers to go after the dedication of George Peros. But I don't know if that's what they did. I think for the most part they were going after George Peros' ability to make the right calls. 
Right. And that's trying to hold someone accountable for their actions. If every single NHL team, because I'm sure every single NHL team has at least one Tom Wilson story that involves them. If every single NHL team sent out a press release similar to what the Rangers said and backed up the Rangers, if every single team says this, do you think the NHL says, well, we have to do something now, I guess, yeah. and George Peros gets taken out of his role? That's where the NHL, I guarantee, will take action when they have no choice but to take action. Tim Peel, for example, a couple of months ago, right. no one's talking about him anymore because the Tom Wilson stuff is front and center, but it was there in camera, on audio. At that point, the NHL, for the sake of not being made fun of, being made look worse than what they are. At that point, they say, Tim Peel's not going to be refing any more of our games. I think when there's no other choice but to take action, the NHL will. But the fact that it was just the Rangers sending this out and nobody else, it was easy to just say, okay, here's your 250K fine. Well, we expect a a PayPal notice shortly. I I would really be interested to see what their reaction would be if every single other NHL team stepped up, said the same thing, called out George Peros, ability to do his job, not attack his integrity – question the ability to do his job. I would be interested to see how the NHL reacts in that case, because I guarantee you it would probably be a lot different than how they reacted when the Rangers spoke out against it, because it's not just the Rangers that are probably pissed off at Tom Wilson. The Flyers have been pissed off at Tom Wilson before the Penguins, the Bruins. Yeah. Brandon Carlo, for example, like this isn't a new thing. This is a recurring theme for Tom Wilson. And, by the sound of it, it's not over. It's right. just going to keep going and going until someone finally steps in and says, "Hey, Tom, we need to talk because this th- this can't this can't happen." Yeah, that's. I mean, I I, I I I'm just sick of talking about Tom Wilson. That's how much I hate him. <laughs> it just just like, uh, but like I I when I knew saw that they uh, had suspended the Rangers for that statement. I was just thinking, like, I mean, that was expected, but it's like everything that Dolan said was the truth, or everything the Rangers said was the truth, and um, and but like I, I totally understand that they wanted to like keep the integrity going, they wanted to protect George Paris. I'm sure George Paris is just like, what the hell, <laughs> like you're not you're not doing anything for the Rangers. So I, I totally get why he was this, uh, why the Rangers were fined that that much for it but yeah i i totally agree that i think there is an even bigger situation where like this is just how tom wilson plays and um it's not like a brad marchand where you know he has kind of like learned from all the past suspensions and has uh you know he has kind of cleaned up his game more or less i hope i hope i don't regret saying those words because i guess there is a possibility that he uh goes back to his old ways but for now he it seems like he's he's not he's been more of a clean player now um and tom wilson hasn't uh not only hasn't learned but this is what the capitals want him to be doing they want like they encourage him to do yeah the tweet that they quickly deleted yeah is a great example of right that. exactly so so that's like 
there's no chance that Tom Wilson's ever going to change his behavior because this is what the Capitals want out of him. And it's, it's, that's the more frustrating part about it is the fact that like, yeah, obviously (laughs) like you shouldn't be doing that. And I think he knows that, but at the same time, it's just like he wouldn't be doing this if the Capitals were saying like, Hey, Tom Wilson, we don't want, like you're a great player, but we don't want you to be pulling that kind of stuff anymore. But they they do do it. And so that's that part is the more frustrating aspect of it, is that they're not even, like, you know, taking it up on Tom Wilson and saying, like, hey, Tom, we don't want you to be doing this. Because, they, in fact, they probably encourage him to do this. And that's, that's the more frustrating part. And it's not, like, so much the matter of, like, you know, like, if, if he was on my team... I would I wouldn't be saying anything. I mean, maybe, but like, it, like at the same time, like for like Brett taking Brad Marchand for example, like you know I I haven't defended every single thing that he's done, um, but like there were definitely parts where like Daniel Chara, Bruce Cassidy, Patrice Bergeron all spoke to him privately and said like, hey Brad Marchand, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> you know so and it, like he even like wrote a whole like athletic piece saying like explaining why he is the way that he is um and that's just like you know that's just the nature of being a pest and that's how he got into the league um and like tom wilson hasn't shown any of that um so that that part or the capitals for that matter either um and they just you know they love him um but they have to at least show him some tough love. Um, but, I mean, he is a good player, and he can score goals, and um, obviously he can hit a lot, but he he goes on that little, like, gray area, and that's the, the frustrating part is where he has to be more careful with it. And I don't think he's he's ever going to learn, and, and I don't think the Capitals are ever going to teach him otherwise but there there yeah. are a couple of other things that i also fear on this um to, to add to those points brad is the role of the enforcer in past years has been declining because fighting has been declining right. and there hasn't been a need for it now when you start getting a little lackadaisical as the department of player safety just theoretically when you start going down that slippery slope and the players don't have respect for you the players are just like okay i guess we have to take matters into our own hands because the refs during that may 5th capitals rangers game they can't do anything of it except weather the storm like whatever happens is gonna happen like they can't they can't convince these teams to back out like teams are like fully committed they have to stand up for Buchnevich and Panarin the Rangers do they feel like they have no choice because player safety they feel in their eyes let them down right so at that point you take matters into your own hands and the Rangers don't really have like the type of like I don't know John Scott or Colton Moore that can just go out there and just pummel the living daylights out of somebody yeah so at, at that point let's say for example Zach Cassian does something stupid to I don't know who, but let's say he does something stupid to one of the other team's top guys, right? And they're to all of the guys on the other team are going to be like, 
player safety dropped the ball. Zach Cassian didn't get anything. They yeah. got like a $5,000 fine or whatever. Let's go after, I don't know, Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl, a top guy on the Oilers, as retribution. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. Is you're going to get a lot of June-style scenarios. You're going to see a lot more fights. You're going to see, I feel like you're going to see the role of the enforcer go up because all of these talented teams like Colorado and Carolina and the Rangers, um, Toronto, Edmonton, that have all these star players who are just like, okay, we got to get one of these guys to protect our guys in case someone goes after them. Right. Because that just seems to be how it is right now. The, that the NHL has been trying to phase out. They've been trying to phase out the enforcer. They've tried to phase out fights. And for the most part, it's it's worked out in their favor. It's I feel like we could see more of that again if there's less enforcement from the Department of Player. If the Department of Player Safety gets it right, you don't have to worry about guys taking matters into their own hands because punishment's been justified. Yep. Punishment has been dished out. It seems fair. We move on. It's tough to move on when, in a case like this, Department of Player Safety gets it wrong, mm-hmm. and it puts the refs in a tougher spot in real time because now it's just like, okay, we need to make sure we make the right call here in case the Department of Player Safety gets it wrong and then we get a bloodbath on our hands a few right. nights later. Like at the end of the, at the end of the day, hockey players, like regular athletes, are are creatures of habit. You see one of your guys getting attacked, you have to stand up for them at all costs. Mm-hmm. It's you can't take that out of a hockey player. It's it's just not how they're wired. And this was the Rangers' final meeting with the Capitals until next year. They're just like, if we have to get him back, we get him back tonight. And everything on Wednesday, May 5th could have been avoided if the NHL had gotten it right. They put the, they drop the hammer to Tom Wilson. They give him like a 10 or a 15 game suspension or whatever. And or that's the rest the end of the season. But that didn't happen. And if it continues to happen, we're going to continue to see stuff like this, which I guarantee you is what the NHL doesn't want you to see. They want you to see Connor McDavid schooling an entire hockey club going end-to-end and scoring an absolute beauty. Right. That's what I want to see as a hockey fan, not three fights in a span of five seconds. Yeah, I mean, that I kind of disagree with. I think people do want to see fights. Like, that's the big reason why UFC is so popular now I'm in MMA. But, um, and, like, that that was, like, a bigger draw, Um back in the old days of, like, just seeing fights, whereas, like, I mean, yeah, like, people like us, goals and, and stuff are more exciting, but I think there is an aspect of, like, seeing, like, fights, there is a chance that a fight could break out, um, and that is kind of exciting for people, so I get that. Uh, the other point that I wanted to make uh, before we get into the other two questions here is that... Um, George Peros, uh, who's the Department of the Player Safety, uh, when he was a player, he was an enforcer. Um, so it it is kind of it's kind of crazy to think that like he understands the role of fighting in the NHL, and um, it is interesting that like like it it I feel like that is why he was more lenient towards Tom Wilson 
because he was that kind of player and he would be kind of a hypocrite if he suspended him for more games. Supposedly, um, I don't know, this is another like speculation type thing and I'm not sure how much um, this is true or not, but supposedly Peros didn't want to suspend uh, Tom Wilson for anything after that Brandon Carlo hit, um, but Garrett, that's when Gary Bettman stepped in and said, like, hey, you're going to have to suspend this guy. It's like uh, <laughs> that that's an egregious uh, play that we want out of the NHL. So so Gary Bettman kind of forced Peros to suspend uh, Tom Wilson for that. Um, Which is kind of funny. Goals yep. egregious is punching someone in the back of the head after the play when yep. they're down on the ice and can't defend and then ragged all their right. player right after. Yeah, the play is also dead. <laughs> it's like not even like, like that. Yeah, that's worse than what what Brandon Carlo did. So or what he did yeah. for, to Grant, Brandon Carlo. I mean, of course, he gave him a concussion, and that's pretty bad. But, um, yeah. but yeah. So it's it's just kind of uh, like that. The part that like the fact that he was a former enforcer. I think there was like back when he was hired, we kind of had thought that. Like, maybe he, he knows how to police the game because he has experience with that as a player. But, like, this just, it just shows that I, I'm, I'm with, uh, I'm with James Dolan here. Like, George Perros shouldn't be the head of player safety if this is what he's doing. Um, it's just, um, it's just incredible. Um, yeah, like, it's, it's one thing if this was just, like, the first time that Tom Wilson has done something. Then maybe you would hear more people say, oh, it's a bit of an overreaction. This is the first time right. he's done it. Except it's not. Yeah. This is a recurring theme, as we said. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I think we can, uh, we can shelve this debate of how much fighting um, should be involved in the NH in this new NHL. But... Um, well, I have uh, two other questions here, um, which have more to do with uh, this uh, Chris Drury stepping in. Uh, do we think uh, Chris Drury will be the right guy? Um, and I guess this is kind of the same question, but maybe a little bit different. But is do we think Quinn will still be the coach next season? So the, the thing with Chris Drury is that it's not a case of He's there for a year or two and they bring him in and all of a sudden you're the president and GM. He's been in the Rangers front office for six years. He uh, started as director of player development, um, a job for just under a year, 11 months, 28 days. Then he becomes the assistant GM, a role that he spent for four years, five months, two days. And then in February 2021, he was promoted to associate GM. He was in that position for three months and then uh, became uh, the current president and GM. And I believe Glenn Sather, oddly enough, still has some former capacity with the Rangers, and he's going to be advising Chris Drury in, um, in the president and GM um, fields, which it should be noted, Sather also served as president and GM. So he, he knows a thing or two about juggling both positions. So I think... Chris Drury, in that respect, is going to be in good hands. Uh, and you look at the job that he did in Hartford last year, it's also interesting um, because Hartford at times was struggling up until the 2019-20 season when they went 31-26-5 in 62 games. Um, 
one of their better seasons in recent memory. And that was after Drury himself helped assemble a new coaching staff there. And he's also been involved with overseeing, evaluating players at the collegiate level. And there have been some guys who have played with the Rangers that uh, show great upside in the NCAA and um, right now appear to be playing dividends. Like Keandre Miller, um, I don't know if people remember, that was a trade with Ottawa. Funny how the Rangers seem to be winning the trades with Ottawa. They get to manage at for Broussard. And then on top of that, I believe it was they traded two picks uh, Jacob Bernard, which turned out to be Jacob Bernard Docker and Jonathan Tachanik, and they get Keandre Miller. They trade up right. to draft Keandre Miller in that spot, and that's turned out to be a very good pick for them. A guy who played play hockey a couple of years ago, and this year here in the NHL, he's fit right in with that team. So yep. the development of Keandre Miller has been very, very good, and I think that's something that Chris Drake can hang his cap on. He's also been involved with the U.S. men's national team in various capacities. He was the GM at the 2019 World Championship. He was in that role last year. He's going to be in that role this year as well. Um, So he does have a lot of front office experience there. And there are a lot of guys under the Jeff Gordon regime that have panned out pretty well, which is good. But now it's about adding the pieces that the Rangers are missing. And... A lot of that is going to be dictated into what he does this offseason. It seems that um, the whole fourth line, as we mentioned, is going to be re- redone, and the future of Brett Howden has been put into question there. Um, it sounds like Drury uh, is going to be very aggressive in making necessary changes, and he's, of course, going to have to deal with the Tony D'Angelo situation. The plan was for Jeff Gordon to possibly buy him out, Um I would be shocked if Tony D'Angelo is still on the payroll next year. Like how, how you bring about a culture reset and still have Tony D'Angelo in the payroll, I think would just be excusable. So it'll be tough to navigate that, but Drury needs to find a way to resolve that matter because that's, that's a big thing there. Um, So there's, there's that about Chris Drury. And then in terms of David Quinn being the coach of the Rangers, um, again, with Gerard Gallant available, with Bruce Boudreaux available, with Tortorella available, although I doubt they bring him back for a second stint, right. but there are a lot of good coaches available. I, I like David Quinn as a coach. I think he's done a lot of good for the team, but can coaches, can the available coaches get more out of this Rangers team than David Quinn can? And, and the thing with David Quinn is he doesn't have much NHL experience prior to this, so he's just been learning with the rest of the team. He's, yeah. he's got about as much NHL experience as uh, Shazurkin does, right. pretty much. Maybe just a bit more, but not by much. A little bit more. So I, I, I think when I look at the start the Rangers had, when I look at the finish, the final five to ten games in the Rangers season, it's it's – it's bit. I wouldn't call it underwhelming. Underwhelming start, underwhelming finish, in between, pretty good hockey, but a lot of inconsistencies to iron out. And I think the ability to get the most out of this team. I I think there were there were times where 
options were, were, were left on the table and the Rangers didn't empty the tank, so to speak. And I think that kind of goes against David Quinn a little bit because against those teams like the Islanders, the Flyers, the Penguins, the Capitals, um, eventually the Hurricanes, when they're back in the mix, the Rangers are going to have to show up. Yeah. Like This is a very tough division. They need to hold their own. They need to hold their own every single night. And they need to win more often than they lose against those teams that they're going to be competing uh, for playoff spots. And I think if it's if the Rangers are in a different division, I think maybe a bit more is is it's just like okay i guess it could be better but we'll, we'll give these guys another year whereas james dolan felt if he felt the rangers could do more they're gonna have to do more against these top teams they have does the team have the pieces to do that do we have what it takes and i don't know if the rangers have what it takes to outslug those top dogs so when I when I look at it that way, I I've, I I'm I'm kind of wondering if the David Gwynn era is over, unfortunately, um, just just because of where this team needs to go and what they need to do next in order to take that next step. I don't know if David Quinn has what it takes to to get the most out of the team every single night because it's clear that he can. There were team there were there were points in the season where the Rangers looked unstoppable. Right. Their offense was going, but then other times their offense would just lay eggs and yep. get shut up by the Islanders. That can't happen next year. Yeah, so I I think the the interesting thing about the Rangers, um, or because I had the fortune of watching them play uh, their last two games. Um, of the season because the Bruins were playing them. Um, and yeah, they weren't as impressive the first time the Bruins played the Rangers, but then the second game, their last game of the season, uh, the Bruins, uh, you know, it seemed like the Bruins were controlling the whole play, the whole game, but all of a sudden, like in the third period, like all of a sudden, then like Lafreniere scores and then, uh, Kravtsov scores and then, um, and then all like they were unbeatable all of a sudden, even though like the Bruins were controlling the game the entire time. And it was just like, like you know, usually I, I'm obviously pretty mad whenever the Bruins get, blow a lead like that. But like at that point, I was just like, it's just so impressive that the Rangers were able to do that. And that kind of gave me some hope for the Rangers in the future because I feel like. Like, yeah, I mean, obviously it's only one game, and not to mention, I'm sure most of it just had to do with the Bruins imploding and the Rangers. But I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that, like, Artemi Panarin wasn't there. Um, you know, they didn't they didn't really have any reason to win that game. But, like, it was just impressive to me that the fact that, like, they just put in their whole effort, especially after the week that they had, um with the Tom Wilson stuff and, like, the whole, like, inner turmoil stuff. Just the fact that they could pull it together for that last game and, like, just win the game just gave me some hope for the future for the Rangers, where I was just like, um, it's like, oh, they're, they actually could be a pretty good team. I'm, I'm going to go with the crazy prediction that I think next year, uh, that the Rangers are going to be, like, wire to wire one of the best teams in the league. 
um, and they're, they'll they'll make the playoffs next year. Um, and I know that they're they're still going to be in a tough division next year. Uh, but um, even if it, if we do continue to do these same divisions, but even next year they're they're going to be in a tough division. But um, but I think they are up for it. Um, and I, I, I do kind of see what Dolan was saying. We kind of alluded to it, but um, just the fact of, like, the, um, like, they do kind of need some veteran presence. Like, the oldest guy, um, the oldest forward on the group is Chris Kreider, and he's just 30 years old. So I do think that they do need some more, like, leaders maybe on the team, and that's probably an off-season move that I think Chris Drury will be able to make, but I don't expect them to make so many moves. Um, I think the fact that they'll have a fresh start, um, like I think a, another part of the reason why the Rangers weren't doing so well was Zabinajet had like one of the worst starts of any player, um, and then he picked it up towards the end there. Um, and I think it was like, yes, it was an underwhelming start, but they just could but like, and, but they started to pick it up towards the end of the year. Um, and then once like, but it was just too little too late because they were in such a tough division, um, that they weren't able to make the playoffs. But like, if they were in the, I mean, obviously it doesn't really make sense, but if they were in the West division or if they were even in the central, like they, they might have a shot. Uh, they might have a shot at that fourth spot. Um, so, and, and yeah. to add to your point, though, Brett, at the, the other side of the coin is, yeah, they had that big third period against the Bruins. The first two periods, they were being outplayed. Yeah. And the entire game before that, where they didn't even get 20 shots in the Bruins, oh, yeah, yeah. Shut out, they were lifeless. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, five of the six periods against the Bruins, they were being outplayed. And then right. they woke up in the third. Well, yeah, which, no, I mean, which alludes to the inconsistencies that was. Yeah, playing. yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally get that and I understand that. But, but I, I see think... the upside, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think the point I was trying to make is that yes, you're right that there was an inconsistency, and um and all that stuff. I I think I was just more impressed by the fact that like they were able to come back through the adversity. Um and yeah, and that does and, show a good side and, of character. Yeah. Especially they did that without Panarin. Too. Exactly, and it was, it just showed like a bunch of character as well. And I think like even like I like it was also helped that like. Uh, Shashurkin started to play, um, like in the third period as well, because uh, Keith Kincaid got injured. But um, so, so that also had pro- probably partly to do with it too. That uh, they had a better goalie as well. But yeah, I think it. Um, but yeah, just in terms of like this team makeup, I think it's like the inconsistency is partly to do with the fact that this is a really, really young team. I think this is the youngest team in the league. So I think the fact that, like, you know, inconsistencies are going to happen, um, but I think the fact that they, they probably do need to, to get a little bit older and maybe get some guys that could be some older. Um, I think the other thing um, that's interesting in terms of David Quinn um, is the fact that, like, yeah, he came from... BU, uh, he used to coach BU and coach guys like Jack Eichel and uh, Charlie McAvoy. Um, but I think the the thing that's interesting about David Quinn is that like when you look at his team right now, like the guys who make more 
of like who have more ice time are like Mika Zibanejad, Adam Fox, Artemi Panarin. I mean, they obviously should have more time. Ryan Strom, but like uh, Philip Heedle has 13 minutes of ice time. Alex Lafreniere has 13 minutes of ice time. Capo Caco has 14 minutes of ice time. Um, King Andre Miller has a decent amount of ice time, but like I'm looking at all their like young guys. Um, even like uh, I think Kravtsov is another one um, who sh- who has uh, he has 12 minutes of ice time. So like yeah, I can understand not giving your young guys your like a bunch of ice time, and that can like w- ruin their development more. But just the fact that like the those four players in particular are supposed to be your like <laughs> your your future. Like that's the big reason why everyone's so excited, including me, about the Rangers is the fact that they have Lafreniere, they have Kako, they have Hedl, they have Kraftsoff, they have K. Andre Miller. Play those guys. Um and yeah, I, like look <laughs> at the Sens. Look yeah. at the Sens. They're giving penalty yeah. minutes to Shane Pinto, yeah. who hasn't played fifteen games in the NHL yeah. yet. And he's fit right in, and he's putting up points. Right. Like, so the whole Sens movement is being driven by their youth and leadership, yeah. and they're growing every single game. Yeah, and I and I, I do want to say like I I don't say like you should put like Lafreniere on the top line instead right, of Panarin. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I get I but get again, like you don't want to do that. Thirteen minutes a game is, yeah. is kind of low. No? Right. Right. Thirteen minutes a game is kind of low. So. So that's the part where I'm kind of critical of David Quinn. It's just like, you have all these young guys. You're really young as well. Why are you putting like, like, why are you putting like Ryan Strom? Not to take anything against Ryan Strom. Why are you putting Ryan Strom ahead of all these other guys? Or, um, you know, it's just that, that part doesn't make sense. It's like, I get that you don't want to like, they they have defensive liabilities and you don't want to like give them more minutes for that but at the same time it's just like that's a big reason why we're all so excited about them and just just yeah. give them the opportunity to uh like give them just more ice time um so um i think uh i remember seeing that when david quinn was hired chris Drury was a big guy in hiring David Quinn to begin with. So I think it's like Chris Drury or David Quinn is like Chris Drury guy. Um, but at the same time, as you alluded to, like Gerard Galant's available, Bruce Boudreaux's available. Mm-hmm. I guess John Tortorella is available, but I don't think they're going that route. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, you know, like even like Rick Tockett's available, you know, so like there's another a couple of other guys that they could go towards into uh, making this Rangers into like taking them into the next level. Um, even like taking, like going the Bruce Cassidy, uh, Mike Sullivan route where they take the guy. I don't even know who the guy is in um, Hartford, but take that guy um, in Hartford and, and make him the coach. And just because he like understands those players uh, because he, um, you know, the the AHL system. So, so yeah, I, and, I, and on top, yeah. of, and on top of that, like the Harvard coaching staff was something that Chris Drury was a key architect yeah. in building. So, if anyone knows anything about the Harvard coaches, 
It's Chris Drury. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I would I would think that they would go that route. Um, or if if they were to do that, like, yeah, they could probably uh, hire Bruce Boudreaux or Gerard Gallant, and those are probably right. the best coaches available. But if you're talking about fit, I think it does make sense that you want someone who understands young players, and that would be someone um, who has been in the AHL um, most recently. So that's mm-hmm. kind of why I'm leaning more towards the Hartford coach, whoever that guy is. Um, and then um, that also takes us to where could we see Gordon or Davidson? Um, I think the thing that's interesting about Jeff Gordon um, and some some parts, to, I guess, to John Davidson, but mostly to jo- to Jeff Gordon is he's a great he's a great scout. He's a great drafter. Um, like if you look at the Rangers drafts the past couple of years, it's like phenomenal. Um, and um, he really knows how to how to do that, handle that. So um, I think um, he may not see a general GM's spot like this year but I think he he will definitely have like some scouting opportunity where he's like that's what he's mostly focused on where he's just focused on drafting those guys um but um for for whatever team it is and then eventually he'll be he'll work his way up again to being a GM um but it wasn't like he was a like this team that he put together was like a, an abomination, like a Jason Botterill type thing. It was just um, like they're they're a pretty good team, um, but um, that he put together just from the j- drafting. Um, so I I think we'll see him again, but probably not next year. Um, as for John Davidson, I think you alluded to this um, in one of your emails, but he used to work for ESPN. I mean, he was yeah. a big guy for the marketing team there. Um, and I think uh, there is potential that he could be, like, he could go back to ESPN and, and be the, uh, the the main guy who, um, who markets the, uh, NHL there. Um, and I think that would be an interesting position for him. I think he could also, I guess, like, he's been in the league enough times where he could be a... Uh, a president somewhere else because uh, he has been in Columbus, he has been in New York as well. But I think um, I when you said it, I think it's like okay, that kind of makes sense. I could see him be like the marketing guy for ESPN. Sorry, what? Oh, um, I I think I think the front office in Seattle that could be a good place for oh, him yeah. in terms of like intriguing opportunities i think they could find an intriguing role i don't know if it'd be like president of hockey operations or something along those lines or but i i think seattle could be appealing to him maybe he goes back to columbus um because columbus had some good years with them if, if columbus wants to clean house they could bring him and uh, jeff gordon and and part ways with yarmo kekalain and his gm if if they wanted to go that route um the uh, but I think in terms of John Davidson, the most logical fit in terms of opportunities, and just the fact that he fits right in is ESPN. Like he did a very good job for them while he was there, and I I think it would just be too good to pass up if they came calling. In terms of Jeff Gordon, there are a couple of markets that 
Um, I, I think a lot of teams would probably think twice. I mean, Pierre Dorian's done a good job in Ottawa, but if they want to take that that next step, maybe maybe Jeff Gordon is an upgrade over Pierre Dorian. We'll see. Um, but I think that would probably be lower in the list. I think the most obvious name that comes to mind is Vancouver. It's no secret the Canucks. Half of the fan base is clearly divided against Jim Denning, and they want him gone. Um, so with Jeff Gordon out there, I think Francesco Aquilini thinks twice if he wants to keep Jim Benning beyond this year. Um, there have been some good drafts by Jim Benning. There have been some not-so-good drafts from Jim Benning. Um, but if, if the Canucks need a good drafter, Jeff Gordon can do that job, and he's made some good trades too. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see if he can pull off those kind of quality trades in a market that isn't Broadway. Because, again, as we mentioned, the Rangers always seem to get their guy. But not all NHL teams have that luxury. So how he's going to be able to perform those trades in markets like Vancouver or Columbus or wherever else is going to be really interesting. But I definitely think he has a good eye for talent, and he'll – you'll find a good fit somewhere. Um, and I think it will be in a GM capacity. Um, it, it, depending on how the chips fall, it could be in a month or two. But, right. Um, I think the most obvious fit for Jeff Gordon right now is Vancouver. Yeah. Um, yeah, Vancouver would be interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that, I guess. Um, uh, so that, that about does it here for us at Lace Em Up. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast, where you'll get the latest NHL news. Um, our Facebook is also Lace Em Up. And, uh, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 269 of the Lace Them Up podcast.